0: Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Do you have a purpose-driven business? How do you want to be remembered? Gene Bliss, global leader, four-time best-selling author on experience leadership and customer-driven growth, says you have the power to improve lives. And when you consistently improve lives, you become unforgettable. You earn your legacy and you grow. We talk a lot about this topic as well as ways of doing CX right, such as goal mapping versus journey mapping to become an unforgettable brand. You'll hear about workforce trends to plan for in 2023 and beyond. Plus, leadership advice, especially at a time of quiet quitting and all these other trends happening in a post-pandemic world. I especially love what she would tell her younger self now if she could go back in time, that you and I can apply to our lives at this moment. Before we get started, please, Subscribe to my show on Apple, Spotify, Audible, or any other favorite channels. Tell others who could benefit and subscribe to my newsletter for updates to increase your customer experience skills. Details are on my website at doingcxright.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Jean Bliss. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Hello, my friend. How are you? I am great because I am with you today and uh. what a special treat. <laughs> I,
1: I was hard to I was hard to lock down. So sorry about that.
0: They say patience is a virtue. Better late <laughs> than never. I don't know. <laughs> yes, thank you for thank you for making sure we got through
1: this together.
0: Yes. So, oh my goodness, so much to talk about. But first, let's begin with telling the audience there's no way they don't know you. But just in case, who are you? What do you do professionally?
1: I am uh, probably, I guess you'd call me a customer zealot. It's all I've done professionally in my life. uh, Career wise, I Led customer experience kind of in in the very early days at some really big companies like Land's End and Microsoft and Allstate and Mazda. And then um, started doing what I describe as helping others push that rock up the hill because nobody was writing about the work. Nobody was, you know, talking about this weird role. And so um, wrote my first book in 2006, wrote another one in 2008, wrote another one after that, then wrote a fourth one. And um, co-founded the Customer Experience Professionals Association with my friend Bruce. And um, since then, have been coaching and prodding the C-suite along to lead um, mm. for earning customer-driven growth. That's what I do. Helping companies become the best version of themselves is really why I do the work. Love that.
0: And by the way, you're talking
1: about Bruce Temkin? Yeah. Yeah, just had him
0: on my show last week. So uh, oh, good, good timing. Yes. Yeah, so another... yeah. We birthed that together, the CXPA. I, I can see that connection very clearly. Um, so your why, is that because, like you said, people weren't really documenting it and
1: teaching it? Well, well on people, it, it's we're focusing on the mechanics instead of the meaning of the work. Mm-hmm. You know, our whole purpose is to improve lives. Um, to do as I talk about, know you're three blocks long. I talk about the story of my dad who had a Buster Brown shoe store in Splains, Illinois. And he was he was so much a part of the story of people's lives that when he retired, a line of people three blocks long stood to say goodbye to him. And we don't start with why are we here? What's our three blocks long? How will we be remembered? Instead, we whack-a-mole problems or we chase survey scores and we 99 or 90 to 95% of the companies that I work with don't start with the hard angsting of deciding on their non-negotiables, how they're going to lead, deciding how they're going to enable their people to rise. And Mm. instead, it's just, you know, problem solving and whack a mole and you don't become a different kind of company that way. And you don't become unforgettable, which we'll get to.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So what's one fun fact that people might not
1: know about you? Um, I'm one of seven children, all Italian and only five zero. When I'm on (laughs) the stage, people think I'm, I have a big mouth. (laughs) And I wear tall shoes. And so then I get off the stage and people are like, you are a midget. <laughs> here you go. Huh? <laughs> I, well, I relate. I'm petite. And
0: we could probably talk th- about this for a while because I don't feel petite. I feel tall. Oh,
1: definitely have a Napoleon complex me over here.
0: Yeah. So, all right, let's get to the meat of this. So you started recently What I Know series, which is fantastic. Tell me about that.
1: The reason I did that is because, you know, I'm 63 and, you know, I love what I do, but I also know that I want to have more life and less work moving forward in a little bit of a while. And so I wanted to take the time to document in my own voice what I know and why I know it and leave people with a a guide, a guidebook, something that's actually very consumable and chewable. They're very small little nuggets. We always package up stuff that you can download, but it's um, just kind of going down memory lane with me. And the whole reason I know what I know is because of the hard knocks and the reality of doing this work inside of super large global organizations. And I, I just wanted to take the time um, to do that and to, to leave people with, with those nuggets. And that's it. nothing more complicated than that. I relate. That's literally my purpose of this show.
0: It, it's, it, maybe it is a legacy, you know, for the future <laughs> when people look back. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a- s- inspiring and spreading um, what we believe in. So you talk about something. Uh, this was part of what I know series, and it really caught my eye around goal mapping, not journey um, mapping. We did fantastic. But tell me, because the world talks about journey mapping, it's overstated a lot. What's goal mapping?
1: So when when you ask, I'm you know I've done this for since 1983. I've been doing this work so. Um, we did the first version of what we called a journey map, but ours was actually a goal map in 1984 at Landsend End after Jan Carlson came out with this wonderful article and um, methodology from SAS Airlines. And what we built was, what's the customer trying to accomplish? or What do they need to accomplish? Therefore, what do we need to do? The journey map, though, that you ask people for and that proliferates all inside of organizations is what they want to get. From the customer, prospect, convert, upsell, resell, it's their sales pipeline. It has nothing to do with delivering on the goals the customer has. So when you go map, instead, you've got to spend a lot of time even understanding because customers gave you money out of their pocket. Why are they trusting you and what are they trying to accomplish? And then you define the goals of the customer that then have to drive the goals of the business, the operation of the business. And it changes everything. It also simplifies. A lot of people will say, well, we have the goal in there, but it's like down in the requirements. You got to put the goal at the top because we're trying to change brains here. Um, One of my favorite examples is when we were doing the work for uh, Stacey Bombardier Aerospace, we were doing the work with a part of the, organization that sold private planes to high-wealth individuals, okay? They just sold Oprah her plate. It was a big thing. Oprah came in and got her plates and the whole thing. But anyway, hmm. so we were doing the mapping, and a really smart service and parts people um, said, well, what about the service and parts experience? That's another failure of a journey map is it tends to be silo-based. The customer doesn't want to have a silo experience. So I said to these folks, okay, does your customer, these, you know, princes and executives and all these people who are flying around in your planes want to have a service and parts experience? No. You know what they want to have? A keep me flying experience. The Hmm. goal, keep me flying. So the keep me flying experience means do we have the right pilots? Are the planes cleaned? Do we have concierge so that when you have to land unexpectedly, we take care of all your needs? Yes, it's about service and parts, but it's service and parts and technicians united with all the rest of those things. And it also challenges what we measure because we measure what we care about, how many parts did we sell or how much revenue and service. Instead, what we should measure is how many days are they up in the air? How many days are they on the ground when they don't want to be? And how quickly do we get them back up? When you measure and unite around the customer goal you're going to sell more service and parts, Stacy, but start with the goal of the customer. Earn the right to your goal by delivering on the customer's goal first. Okay, sermon over.
0: <laughs> well, I, I want to expand on that for a second because I had recently a pain point that the goals were different for two parts of the company. So the e-commerce team, I bought yep. something online. I go to return it at the local store and they said, in my goals, just to return it.
1: <laughs> and right. the,
0: sto- the store tells me, sorry, you need to send it back online. And I'm like, aren't you one company?
1: That's because, mm-hmm. and that's the problem because they each probably had their own journey map, which yes. was just the process of, you know, again, the other problem with journey maps is we're, we're, we're mapping process steps not customer needs that then have to redesign the process steps. Yeah. So it's it's involved in mind meld. It's a painful, painful thing. Um, But we start first by bringing lots of customers in and even validating what the goals are. And, you know, you can't sit sit in your room and define goals on your own because that's just, you know, that's a crazy effort or what we call a mother-in-law survey. We ask each other and it becomes (laughs) what we should do. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's a great saying. Wow. Well, we're going to get to mothers in a minute. However, I also think that companies don't realize there's so much value to journey mapping, but goal mapping in the way of breaking silos and helping your internal teams understand the domino effect of, of what my department does to affect the next department and they lose sight of that. That's a huge benefit.
1: Right. Well, and you know, go, going all the way back to my Bombardier example, Keep Me Flying has got to glue lots of silos together. And it also challenges what you measure. You're not measuring independent silo metrics. Another one I love is the Seattle Spine Clinic. They, you know, a lot of times healthcare measures, measures the stuff that they can tick boxes on. How long were you waiting in the waiting room? It's interesting And surely something you want to look at from an operational standpoint. But the outcome, especially if you go to a spine clinic, is can you reduce the number of days I miss from work because I have back pain? And can you remove and decrease the duplicitous MRIs and other things that I end up going through because I'm spiraling through different silos in the healthcare system that haven't checked the right and the left foot or shoe or hand or whatever. And so at the Seattle Spine Clinic, they actually measure those things and that becomes their role. Reducing the number of days people miss from work and reducing the number of unnecessary MRIs because they're uniting a new methodology of care that isn't just about writing a script for an MRI. (laughs) And that forces the silos to come together in a different way. It's hard work. We're not, because we still want to look at the survey results and say, Okay, this is my part of it. And this is your part of it. And this is what I can do to get lift. I hate that word lift. Lift on the survey score. You know, when you start with a goal map, the scores will come if you're focusing on the goals. And you, you got to glue the silos together. So
0: I imagine the goal mapping helps. It's a key ingredient to becoming what you've written about an unforgettable company.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, unforgettable or beloved or, you know, for me, I like talking about it and saying, how will you be remembered? Which is, you know, connecting back to that story of my dad is the companies that you love and admire, they take on humanistic characteristics. If you're trusting, you want to be trusted. That means you've got to go through all your paperwork, your contracts, your materials, your policies, so that you create a two way street of trust. If you want to show up as human and caring, then that means you've got to care for your people and give them the ability to make the call. We, you know, we need to remember that people want, remember and believe in and go back to the companies who behave in a manner that's congruent with our own, that's congruent with how we were raised, which is why I wrote The Silly Mom Look, which I think you may ask about in a minute.
0: I am, yes. Oh my gosh, Make Mom Proud. That is, oh my God, where do we begin? Well, first of all, what inspired that
1: book and that mindset? The Would You Do That To Your Mother book came about because I was watching how complicated we had made this work, Stacey. It it was dashboards and data and cross-tabbing and regression analysis. And I wanted to get to the core and to the root of it in a very simple way, which is, as you're making this decision to charge someone an extra $5 for a pillowcase or to do their bags or whatever it is, would you do that to your mother? I, you know. And so then I had to turn it into a book and broke it into four, four categories of goodness that really connect humans inside of a company and humans outside of a company to, again, this whole notion of congruence of heart what we know is right in habit, how we organize and lead so that we enable people to behave in that way. Mm.
0: What are actionable tips that people can do to become unforgettable, to make mom proud, which I did submit a story about my mom, by the way, on your website. I I put that up there. Didn't I put it up there? I I just did it last night, but I love the mission. Oh, you did it last
1: night. Oh, okay. We'll get it up there. Oh, good, good, good. Well, you know the way I organize the mom book is this. It's it's like a a recipe card book, if you will. It's broken into four categories. Be the person I made you. I I I raised you to be, which is about enabling your employees to rise. So Mm. are you know are you getting rid of things that make it hard for them to make the right decisions? Um, so for example, we talk about Alaska Airlines in there who created a We Trust You toolkit. What's your version of proactively giving people options that they can um, take when they're in the moment with a customer versus saying, okay, let me find out if I can you know, extend your warranty two days, Mr. Customer who's been with us 25 years. Um, the second section is, a, is called don't make me feed you soap or uh, make it easy to do business or get rid of the pain, build respect. And in that section, there's eight case studies and all kinds of action items around getting rid of what makes it hard to do business with you. And so that's the way it goes throughout the book. There's 32 case studies, 32 actions and a mom lens. So you can reflect on each one and try to make it really simple. So it's very, very actionable. There's lots of fun examples in there. You know, for example, lemonade insurance, um, you know, a disruptor in the financial services economy, they created you know, a simp- they, they got rid of the rigmarole of buying insurance and insurance, like a lot of regulated industries, creates fear, worry, concern. And so they price simply a percentage on everything. Um, they create an, an a, a community around it, which is if we're all honest and put in claims in the right way, we'll all be able to give money back to our favorite charity. But then they have you do this thing that had me gib- giggling, which was a... Um, An honesty pledge. You know, if they actually look into their bot and film, I promise this lamp I'm asking you to replace is really only $25. And then I say, so help me, mom. So they connect, you know, they get to the core of who we are as people and build that into their operating model. And so that's what, that was what I tickled out in all of these different case studies. The way that people were actually able to be good humans through how they conducted themselves in business.
0: Well, speaking of conducting yourself in business, there's a phrase that I just heard that I had never heard before. I heard it four times yesterday. And there's this quiet quitting. Are you, uh, listen- are you hearing this term?
1: I am. And I'm, I'm, it's interesting. What do you think of that? Well, first of all, that would not make my mom proud that would not yes, make sense. Me- resting, investing, right? Like resting, investing. It's just you stop, you stop trying, and you just collect the paycheck. Is that what's at the that's, root of it?
0: That's what it is, and
1: that mentality is
0: happening in the schools, with the teachers, with the police force, with corporate, like everywhere. And I guess maybe that's partly due to post-COVID life. Partly because maybe politics, partly because of everybody's afraid to speak. Like I don't know what is causing that, but that is mind-boggling to me because we grew up with work hard, put it put in that discretionary effort.
1: You bet. Yeah. No, I am just reading more and more about it, and it is it is anathema definitely to to how I was raised and to how I. And that myself, I do think though they're, you know, we're, everybody's exhausted. You've got, you know, we don't know because this is not our generation, right? I mean, these kids are gone to college. They're straddled with huge debt. You know, they're, they, they don't know what things are going to get them. They're in a situation where they make a lot, they make decisions differently than we did. Um, you've got social, I mean, I wouldn't want to have wanted to go through high school with social media, would you? I mean, golly, it was bad enough not getting a call on a Saturday night, but to have the ear of all of your friends, the voice of all your friends in your ear talking about your hair, your makeup, how you look, if you have a limp, you know, whatever it is, it's just... So I don't understand it enough, but I do know it's very different from how I would behave, but I also want to understand what's motivating this. I mean, there is an enormous amount of exhaustion but it is interesting. I do think it's interesting and a little bit weird.
0: Yeah. Well, talking about experiences, I spoke to a teacher yesterday who said how many teachers are left the school system recently and that the teachers are in back in our day, you'd we'd go to the principal because we got in trouble. Now the teachers are getting in trouble and going to the, the principals because of the parents. So look, I, I'm not an academia, but I, that is mind-boggling that this is where we are. And therefore, the kids don't get the best of the teachers if they're afraid to, to be, literally. Right. There's
1: all kinds of interesting factors that are impacting all of us as people right now that I think is manifesting itself in in these business behaviors. And it's impacting customers. It's impacting employees. It's impacting you know, total cultures. I mean, first we had the great resignation. Now we've got the big quit. You know, I mean, so it is, there's something brewing. I, yeah, it's, it's, I feel badly for people who are in bro in the middle of the beginning of their careers right now, honestly, for sure.
0: Yes. Well, I think the next generation needs to read your books to bring it back.
1: <laughs> to Well, that would be lovely, but they also need leaders who understand who they are and, nurture nurture back, you know, people back to where they need to be. But thank you for the books.
0: Yes. Well, that's a really good point about leaders. And what is the best leadership advice you've been given or have told others?
1: You know, I I mean, for me, I I call customer experience leadership, Stacey, because at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's not the CX department. It's about listening to good humans and enabling people to bring the best version of themselves to work. If you don't do that, you're going to have an organization of people who are ticking boxes and showing up because they have to versus uniting people around a purpose and elevating their soul and their spirit. And that's a whole lot of work. And, and you know, CX is a toolkit. It's not the end game. Leadership and raising up humans is the reason why we should all be doing this work. Mm,
0: I agree. Trends. What CX trends, what customer service trends do you see that we need to plan for?
1: Well, you know, for me, again, it's looking at the work as leadership, not CX. I really wish we would stop calling it CX. I mean, I know that this is a big part of what I've done. But when we put it in a bucket, we turn it into a silo. And I, I you know, I, we have to unite the leadership team around leading, around how they talk, what they measure, what they reinforce to people. It's, you know, we've, we've kind of pushed it down to its lowest common denominator around surveys and results and survey scores and fixing stuff. It is so much more than that. And I'm hoping that in the years to come, we will you know, embrace the leadership part of it. I think from a service and, and humanity standpoint, it's, it's got to be about Stacy building what I call a respect delivery machine. People want self-serve until they don't. You know, people and, you know, good, good humans answering the phones now are more important than ever because they need someone who can listen to them, understand them and take action without touching 20 desks. And so again, that goes all the way back to hiring the right people Giving them tools and putting them in a position to make decisions without asking for permission constantly. Give them the lifetime value of your customers. Give them options. Give them a seat at the table at deciding what those options are and then trust them for the values and the skills that you hired them for.
0: Mm. Where does chatbots and other automation then fit in? Well, those are
1: parts, those are options. You know, those are. Those are parts of the things where you give the customer the option. You have to meet the customer where they are. Some people want ch- chat, some people want live. You know, everybody wants something else. But it, when you want a human, you need to still provide a human. You can't just say that we're going to only provide automated service and never give me the ability to talk to a human if I need a human. I, but I, it's, it's a combination of those things. I agree. You have to have a human
0: at the end of the... Of the automation somewhere, especially for complex sales and pricey items. And you can't replace the human.
1: Well, and again, you know, even the way you sound on a chat bot has to have a personality and sound human. You know, sometimes they're just so robotic even. You you need to start with what's your tone? How do you sound? You know, one of the greatest pieces of advice I got in my career was from Gary Comer, the founder of Land's End, where, where, which were, where I started my career. We did everything. We were growing really rapidly, et cetera. And one of, one of the things I was doing was writing copy at a point in time. And he said, Gene, this is too corporate-y. Write like you talk. And that's why my books sound like it's Martin Alec Italian from Chicago. You know, I mean, you write like you talk. And we, we, when we write even communication from business, it's... Date and it's crisp, but it's not human. So we need to, even within our non-human media, find a way to make sure that who we are as people shows through in the language we pick, how we write things, you know, how human we are. That's a great
0: point. And I'm sure people who are really experts in diversity, equity, inclusion have opinions on how all of the voice and tone and wording need to be.
1: Yeah, well, and that's getting more and more complicated too. But, it, you know, if you don't even address it, it's, it everybody's chatbot is going to sound like everybody else's chatbot. It's just this vanilla going on.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, as we come to the end here, two questions. If I had a ton of CEOs and entrepreneurs and leaders of top brands in my room right now listening, what's the one thing you want them to remember?
1: I, I want them to remember that they hold the heart of the people who work for them in their hands and that their job is to understand who they are, unite them around a great purpose and uh, lead them to its achievement. Purpose.
0: Do you think there's a lot of
1: purpose-driven
0: companies? Do you think that's growing in importance? Where, what's your view on I that? Think
1: it was a groundswell. And through COVID, we got a lot of wonderful purpose-driven behavior one of the things I've said a lot is, you know, I want us to hold on to that coming together and making it happen, putting on a show when we get back to more normal worlds where we, we get back into the structure of everything. So I'm, I, I, I mean, there were such, Stacey, I mean, we saw the most remarkable things, right? People did automations that would have normally take three years of, of churning through the butter of the organization and they got it done in three weeks the esprit de corps of the CEO saying, who's got a great idea? We need to hang on to that because that got us through that really horrible, crazy time when all of us were meeting with our humanity. So I, I just hope some of that stays with us. Well, I'm on a mission to make that
0: happen for the areas that I work and my span of control for sure. And finally... If you could go back to your 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell your younger self?
1: Check your ego at the door, pace mm. yourself, and be time to yourself. It will all happen. We're, we're, we're on this habit trail of wanting to move fast and forward. Take your time and enjoy it.
0: I love that. And Check your ego out the door. I think that comes, age comes wisdom um, that you don't have when you're 20.
1: Oh, totally, totally. And you know, our work is about showing a big light on others. It's not about what we did. Yes. Well,
0: I am so grateful for you. I know people will want to reach out. What is the best way to find you?
1: Um, I'm on LinkedIn at Jean Bliss. And then I, my website is uh, customer Bliss. I married a guy named Bliss. So how great is that? Customerbliss.com. Easy peasy. It's all there. Exactly. Well, thank you so
0: much. I really appreciate you. And Thanks for the good work you're doing. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lessons shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com. To learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacy Sherman doing CX right.